Welcome to Minority Report. I'm your host, Salomon Flamenco. On today's episode, we have Irosa Osadai Ohanmo, a fashion designer and student at Parsons School of Design in the New School. A uh, really cool person. She's really great. What I like about this conversation is the way in which it's almost the encapsulation of what I like to do on this podcast, right? So she talks about how the combination of her upbringing, right, which is at once the child of Nigerian immigrants growing up in the U.S. and how that leads to something new in the creation of her work and what she's trying to do with her work, right? Utilizing these maximalist patterns in her design that also focuses on size inclusivity, right? Designing for contemporary people. I think there's something so beautiful about that. I think that's really what I love to do on this show is to highlight and profile the people at the forefront of the new chic. I think it's really cool. Um, and yeah, you guys aren't going to find this out until the end of the conversation, but she just got back from Los Angeles, which had the same bad weather as the rest of the country for the last week or so. But while there, she was um, at the NAACP Image Awards, where she designed some work for Ruth Carter to wear. For those of you who don't know Ruth Carter, Ruth Carter is a legendary costume designer, having worked on both Black Panther movies, most recently Wakanda Forever, and a number of Spike Lee films, uh, Malcolm X, uh, Do the Right Thing, Bamboozled, I know I'm forgetting a lot of them. Just a legendary costume designer, so just a brilliant opportunity for an amazing person. I really love this conversation, and I hope you all enjoy it. Hi, thank you for joining me. Hi. Just to start out, who are you and what do you do? So my name is Irosa Osadai Yohanmu. Some people know me by Irosa, some people know me by Osadai. And I'm a fashion designer currently at Parsons. And I focus on size inclusive luxury wear. How was the fashion week? I know that just ended, right? Yeah, uh, it just ended. Now we're doing... You know, it's not New York Fashion Week anymore, but Fashion Week elsewhere is still going on. It was it was good. This Fashion Week, I relaxed. I didn't do much. Uh, I attended like after events and things like that. But it was nice to just relax this time. Last semester, I was so busy with Fashion Week and I like attended, I think it was either two or three Fashion Weeks and it helped backstage. So it was interesting to see people in person and realize like, oh, they're real people. Like they're not just celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This yeah. work is like behind everything. Exactly. It's really cool. I'm wondering like what led you into the fashion space? Like what first made you interested in going into that world? Yeah. So what led me to that was always growing up plus size, you know, and never finding my, the fashion that I relate to in the store. It was like, you know, the 2000s, very much into that skinny jeans era. It was a big deal then. The Jonas Brothers and all those, all those people, you know, Hannah Montana, that era of like having fashion that is very like, they would use the word chic and skinny and, you know, just never finding something that I can relate to in the store or just kind of browsing around with the affordability that my family could afford the the clothing my family could afford it was never like 
something that I relate to would always be something drab or I'd have to go into the men's section to find my jeans, which I still do most of the time. And yeah, that led me to uh, always be creating things, always making garments for myself. And yeah, so I've always been doing that, but now it's like what I do full time and study to do it and meet interesting people that are passionate about it as well. But my family, originally, I was in the field of science. And ever since, you know, as a little child, like science was always a thing. It was like, my daughter is going to be a doctor and my daughter, the doctor. And it was like, I, I believed it. I, I was passionate about it. When I entered college, I realized that I just can't do the MCAT. Like, it's just not for me. Yeah. <laughs> Studying, like, I mean, good for those people that do it. Like, they're passionate about it. Yeah, so I entered college and I I really still wanted to be in the medical field. I graduated University of Massachusetts Amherst with a degree in biology and a minor in Afro-American studies. And my focus was molecular biology and I was really interested in cardiovascular disease. So then that led me to a bunch of other programs, which led me to getting well, entering a PhD program, uh, which focuses on molecular biology and biomedical sciences. And through there, I was able to really like plan out my life and realize like, I don't want to actually specialize in this for another six years or five years and then have to work for somebody or become a professor. (laughs) Those are not the only options, but those are the main options that people tend to go towards and I was just like I can't busy myself doing this and the plan was always to kind of use that money to have like my side business my side business as fashion and then I realized like why am I wasting time doing something I don't really love or relate to as as much as I do fashion so yeah I just uh I guess does I answer the question of how I I got into it. Yeah, it does. It does. It, I, I'm thinking about a lot, of, a lot of different things right now, especially just your parents are immigrants, right? I feel like as yeah. the, the kids of immigrants, you you are told, like, go in this field and exactly. then because of the standards we put on you, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. very high standards of, like, you have to be successful because, you know, we didn't come here for nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> you came here to be successful. You have to carry on that legacy. And being like the first child in my family, it's like a lot of pressure, (laughs) but you know, I just kind of go along with the flow of what God is calling me to do. And it just happens to flow that way uh, into fashion. So now I'm here. Can I ask, how did they react when you told them about this pivot? Yeah, I basically had a mental breakdown. (laughs) I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I'm not happy. Like, I, I just can't focus anymore in fat and science. Like I, you know, was so depressed in college and like, I don't want to be down that road for six years. And she, she was like struggling with it at first. Cause she was like, I mean, you're in a PhD program. Like what's going to happen? You know, like you made it to the top of like the science. Like, why are you quitting now? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm not happy. I don't know. I don't know what to do here. And, you know, fashion has always been like what I do. Like I come home, I make clothes. Like that's all I do in the summer. And even during uh, COVID, I just made a bunch of clothes. Uh, 
you know and she took it as like okay if this is really what like you're called to do like reflect on it pray about it and like hopefully you're led in the right direction and and that's what I did and uh, I got into Parsons which is like the number one fashion school in America and I was like oh my gosh oh this is the side like I just gotta go I just gotta you know let go of all my fears of not making it or not or failing or letting people down and just like go with you know what is right in front of me and she took that as a sign of like okay yeah so she's supposed to be here (laughs) but I also you know told my other relatives I'm not sure they really know I'm in fashion because the last they heard of me is like I'm in a PhD program and they're like okay she's set you know we don't have to worry about her anymore (laughs) but yeah I think they're now realizing you know children of immigrants like they don't always have to stay in science to be successful like they see other uh, children of immigrants succeeding in fields like you know, sports and, and entertainment. I mean, there's so many, as a Nigerian, there's so many Nigerians that are succeeding in that field. And that's something that I see, like my relatives and my mom, they're slowly, slowly changing their minds. They're like, okay, like just get your first degree. And then, you know, you can branch out into other things. And I'm like, yeah, the first degree is for you. (laughs) And the second part of my life is for me. (laughs) Yeah. So I find that that's, it's a lot of what's happening right now and uh, yeah I mean she's still you know sometimes iffy about it especially when I tell her like oh the situation's coming up mom she's like see this is why you should stay in science you know, <laughs> worry about this yeah uh, yeah but you know I I caught I caught her sometimes like uh telling people that you know I'm in I'm still in the PhD program, but I'm on a year leave and I'm coming back. And I'm like, mom, you know, I'm not going back. Right. She's like, she's like, well, you know, you just, you got to test it out. You have to have all your options open. I'm like, I tried it. Did it work for me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. But I still have, you know, if I want to go back and decide, I could still do that, but I just don't see myself doing that per se. I'm wondering, like, the origin, like the question is, how has your background influenced and informed your work in fashion design? But I'm interested also in how would you come at it from these different angles? Like, I think there's a lot in play. And I'm wondering, like, I, I, I don't know. My gut is, like, wondering how do you combine all of them? It's a lot to combine. I feel like what's important right now is creating fashion that makes a statement not only physically but like I I want to say politically but like not too politically charged I find that like fashion is a way to make a statement about yourself when you wear brand it means something when you wear Balenciaga right now people judge you <laughs> you know what I'm saying <laughs> people judge you unfortunately that's you know it has to do with a lot of politically charged things. And I feel like it's especially important for Black designers to show their different sides of themselves and, what do I say, like explore explore the culture in a way that is true to themselves and can relate to other people so that it's exposure in a way that is authentic, if that makes sense. 
because mm-hmm. I find that a lot of and back in the day a lot of brands are like culturally appropriated like you have YSL with like their African collection which is like you know he's not an African person but like yeah and there are a lot of like black designers coming up that I'm like great good for you like you're you're doing it so in that sense like what influences me in my fashion is my culture and being Nigerian American and having like that dichotomy and harmony uh, in and of itself, like my upbringing and how I can relate it and explain it to other people that is like, wow, this culture is beautiful. I'd love to explore more of it. And I'd love to, you know, support people of this culture or support other people in various cultures. And yeah, my, my work mainly focuses on like the stories of specifically the Edo people of Nigeria, Benin City, as I'm a, an Edo Nigerian. <laughs> and yeah, that's, that's what my senior collection is going to be on. And I hope I can imbue that in the future in a lot of my collections. But that's a, a main thing that focuses my fashion. And then obviously, you know, the Black diaspora and things that are happening in America in general, the Black experience of the African-Americans in in America. Yeah. So, and then and what else? And then in terms of science, I find that because I, I study like molecular biology, I just love looking at like cells under the microscope and things like that and applying it to specific like techniques and embroidery techniques, showing micro details. I'm very like detail oriented in that aspect. But another way that science could be, well, definitely is going to be applied to fashion in the future is like waste. And I find that that's what the main difference between generations before and like generations now, they care about how the fashion is being recycled. Where is it going? You know, it's not ending up in a a landfill in Ghana. Which again, another politically charged thing. I just read a an article in a Business of Fashion that was like they're calling it colonial waste because it's like you know this whole landfill, millions of garments each year are being dumped in Ghana, and it's toxic. You know, it's not productive to their community. It's kind of like it's like it's colonialism in a sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, caring about those things and using science to combat that waste and maybe degrading the clothes quicker and things like that, or finding more sustainable ways to dye fabrics are things that are up and coming uh, for the next generation, but also something that influences a lot of fashion now and should influence uh, many designers now. Talking about business of fashion, though, I read a headline a couple of days ago, and it was mm-hmm. talking about how, I'm forgetting the exact phrasing, but it basically said, at New York Fashion Week, Black creators have to be both entrepreneurs and creators and activists, right? And it's talking about how they have to carry more of the load than is reasonable because of their identity. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, that's that's a lot with... That's that's like with most creative fields. It's like because you're the face of something that's so public, like you have to kind of be put to a higher standard to represent and you're kind of looked at if you're not like something as, you know, 
serious as the George Floyd, you know, situation, it's kind of judged upon like, okay, is she, are they going to say something? Are they a Black person? Are they going to, you know, support? What are they doing? And I mean, I feel like it's, it's not, not like it's not necessary, but it's, it's a, it's a lot of pressure to have to do that every single time. And it, it also kind of takes away from, I don't want to say takes away from the work, but like, then you're judged as like a, a black designer rather than just a designer who makes clothes that, um, you know, are substantial and mean something and can have a legacy. It's kind of like how, you know, Virgil Abloh, once he died, was judged as the hip hop fashion designer. Just really crazy to a lot of people. They're like, he did substantially more than just made hip hop clothes. Like, come on. He's like the first like African American to helm a French luxury house. And that's something substantial. That's really important. And a lot of Louis people Vuitton. look up to that. Sorry to interrupt, but it was Louis Vuitton that he was the Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Louis Vuitton. So it's like, whoa, you know, for them to just kind of downplay it as a hip hop designer. And that was kind of around that same time, the George Floyd shooting. So it kind of takes away from like, I don't want to say takes away from your work, but in a sense it kind of does. Like it it kind of makes it seem like, okay, this person, like because they're black, like it's, they're going to focus on, they automatically put you in the box. They're going to have to be politically charged. They're already politically charged just because of who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot of pressure and a lot of like things that you have to worry about and not just like, how you say something or how you present your work but also how people view you and yeah so (laughs) instead of just you know willy-nilly putting out an ad like you know H&M would do with the coolest monkey in the jungle or yeah you have to think about these things and you have to think about the clothes think about who's buying it think about how you're presenting those clothes and yeah be like a, a political face in uh fashion which is inherently like very white male dominated so yeah i feel like you've covered a lot of what i was gonna ask next in terms of that that previous answer but like you said right especially in recent years rightfully so there has been a greater emphasis on uplifting black creators and entrepreneurs so i'm wondering as a young up-and-coming creator like how has it been navigating that space in the fashion world it's it's been it's been interesting i feel like it's it's like an equity thing that a lot of people do not think about like normally designers of color do not come from a lot of money (laughs) so it starts from the foundation i feel like fashion schools uh, you know should have a standard that is obviously set for everyone but when it comes to equity have a a a set of like an aid that will help black designers come out Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to financial aid I know I know a lot of students a lot of black students of Parsons who have dropped out because of financial aid and that's a loss because you know they're very talented and if you truly want to support black designers black young designers it starts from the foundation it starts from helping young black designers get into the field 
and you know be able to stay with their talent not having to worry about um I mean there's so many things that we have to worry about in and of itself in terms of work culture and all these things and the fashion industry which is so different I'm learning that with all my internships that you know there's so many different work cultures that you have to think about and uh, rather than just ju not only your work but also that but yeah so there's all there's the there's the fashion schools who I feel should help young black designers coming in was very tough for me I had to take out many loans and I'm definitely gonna be in a lot of debt when I graduate but you know and then after graduating it's kind of hard to find a job in general and make it as a black designer is also very hard but I find that a lot of the positive thing I found is that a lot of these competitions recently I've been looking at like the LVMH prize which has been incorporating a lot of black designers and telling their true story which I applaud them for doing like it's amazing thing to get an LVMH prize as a young black designer and you know be considered luxury without having to go through the avenues of you know working for somebody that is that you know maybe doesn't relate to your culture maybe you have to like water things down a little bit and having to go to the avenue before becoming a black designer and having to struggle through the hierarchies and, and things like that and again with work culture it's so different it's either like and I find that a lot of designers hire people that are like them so it's like, you're, you're, you know, a black plus size woman, like, how are you going to relate to a white gay male? Like, it's, it's kind of, you know, hard to navigate that, but it's, it's really just luck and chance. And I'm going on a rant here again. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I think this is still great though. Again, a little detour. I don't know if you could answer this just in terms of our timing, but okay. what is the how do I phrase this? I guess I'm just curious about like starting your own brand, right? Like being an upstart almost like what is, you know, I feel like it's similar to a lot of other industries where it's like you either go in-house or you venture on your own. Is that something you've considered or that you and your colleagues have talked about? Like what? Yeah, I feel that in this economy, it's hard to just start a brand on your own unless you have a lot of money and you're willing to you know, especially in New York, because it's just so, rent is so expensive and everything. It's like, do I buy more fabric or do I pay for my rent? Like, it's, it's tough. But yeah, it's, it's really by chance that a lot of, I find that a lot of Black designers I've been researching have another job and then they make collections on their own and apply to these competitions where they can get money and hire some people that will help them financially and marketing and production, all those things before they start their own brand and also build notoriety and build a name for themselves before they can apply. And all that work, stuff takes time and takes money. So yeah, I thought of, I, I definitely want to in the future have my own brand. It's just a matter of <laughs> money and time and finding the right team that would help me out and believes in my vision and is willing to you know go through the trenches and the ups and downs of navigating the fashion world and a lot of 
a lot of my colleagues uh, think about that as well, but it's a matter of finding the right people. And also after graduating, it's hard to find a job. So it's like the avenues are like either find a job, mm -hmm. uh, go back to school and get your master's or start, start your own brand, which a lot of people are scared about starting their own brand as well because of, you know, not wanting to fail and yeah. <laughs> mishandling money and things like that i feel like it's almost the the universal startup problem right yeah what yeah. a sense it's it's essentially starting a business you know so it's like you have to allocate that money well <laughs> a lot of designers are not business oriented in a sense it's like i want to make this fabulous garment but it's going to cost this much money and i have to market it and this costs as much and i have to uh, pay an influencer to wear and it costs as much you know yeah yeah, yeah. buy garments and then you need to pay rent yeah that makes sense hey oh on that part too pay rent <laughs> yeah <laughs> the emphasis that on the rent <laughs> <laughs> i want to double back a little bit because we talked yeah. about this at the beginning and how do i rephrase it almost i'm just interested in your work right and not yeah, so it's obviously important to focus on size inclusive fashion but I'm wondering also how can you best integrate that with these fashion houses that maybe have not been so size inclusive in the past you know yeah I believe that when it comes to size inclusivity it starts with again the foundation a lot of uh, dress forms in my school and in most schools are size six and those size sixes aren't even a size six in this day and age. They're actually a size four. And yeah, bodies are not the same as they were in the 50s and the 40s. Like bodies now look so different and the dress forms are still the same. <laughs> so, I'm it, in, so they're basing these models off of models from like the 60s and 50s with different sizes entirely. Basically with different bodies and different, yeah, okay. composure. It's it's again the foundation being able to drape on a, a plus size form even not it doesn't even have to be a plus size form maybe a size two with a stomach or a size eight or a size 10 with you know like a chest it doesn't correlate to the garments that are being worn by models and a lot of the models on the on the runway right now you know they're trained to look a specific way that not the general public not everybody that buys these garments can wear it and look like the model because the model is not, let's say it's not, it's, I want to say it's not a real person, but their whole job is to look like as close as they can to the dress form, but be really tall. So it starts with the foundation and having a figure to work on that is more relatable to the body and to the um, anatomy of a realistic size and realistic you know shapes people that have the same measurements and the same weight the all their you know muscle and fat looks different on different bodies and that's you know all with genetics so <laughs> it's very much they would have to have people that know how to drape on bodies that not only look like a size six four in the dress forms in school. They would have to have experience draping on different sizes, that different shapes, know what silhouettes work, 
and how to cut the fabric to make it, you know, drape and look a certain way. Mm. And that's not being taught in school. <laughs> Every time I bring up my, you know, dress form, that's a big girl. Everyone looks like, what are you doing? You're like, wow, good for you. But it's like, I just want to make clothes that yeah. actually look good on people. Mm -hmm. you know real people uh not to say that models aren't real people or people that are a size two aren't real people but the general public the stats in america is something like 64 percent of women are over a size 14 mm -hmm. so it's like if we are not catering to these people and these are everyday people that have you know jobs in science jobs as lawyers like they they may be able to afford these clothes but we're not offering them that ability to look good and to afford these clothes that aren't cheap um that are high luxury so yeah. I just really want to focus on that aspect when it comes to designing and I, I love to drape on different sizes and so that's why I'm size inclusive I really take into account different bodies and how they are structured is is pretty much like architecture kind of working on the foundation and building off of that and it's kind of like reteaching yourself these things and applying what is being taught in school on a size four size six and translating it to a size 12 or size 24 yeah yeah I guess I'm just thinking about what you said about almost the economics of it right where it's like not discount like models are real people, but the yeah. average person probably looks more in terms of your vision than someone walking a runway. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you can tell I don't know a lot about the fashion space. So I'm like learning a lot as we're talking right now. Like it's a lot that, you know, people don't really think about. They're just like, I want to make beautiful clothes and like it must be so glamorous to make beautiful clothes. But thinking about, you know, me like making working in places where I can't find my size or working for people where it's like, they don't consider bigger clothes. Or I feel like some people now are considering it, but again, they don't work off of a form that is bigger. They just kind of like make it as a custom and say, look, we offer bigger sizes, but usually those garments that they make are not very flattering to bigger sizes. So it's very interesting to see, I don't know if it was just a trend or whatnot, that a lot of luxury brands have maybe one or two plus size models and say, okay, like we're trying to be inclusive, but they're usually like the garments that are not like cute, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. But now I don't know if it's going the reverse way because I recently read a business of fashion article that said, you know, plus size models were not very much featured in this season of fashion week and I was kind of disappointed I was like uh you know we gotta we gotta bring them back I don't know what happened yeah I'm going to rant again <laughs> sorry I'm gonna cut out every time you say a rant it's not a rant it's amusing <laughs> this is I, very interesting right I'm thinking about the ways in which the culture is changing but also so stagnant which kind of leads into my next question almost but I mean, how do you see the relationship between Gen Zers and fashion? Like, is it any different from the way past generations have participated in the space? Or what have you seen just in terms of your work and research? Gen Zers are definitely 
more open in terms of what fashion is and what they consider fashion. They very much like things to be imperfect, raw, and like distracted. But some people do like the very posh and put together look as well. I find that something that's very in common with something that's very standard with most Gen Z is that they care about the environment and they want their garments to be sustainable. They ask where things are from. They ask, how was it made? And, you know, it, it's something that is a legacy that they want to carry forward that maybe the past generations did not care about because there were so many technological advancements back then. It was just like, oh, we can make so many garments in such little time. Like (laughs) we don't care about where it goes after, but yeah, that's something that's different with the Gen Z. They really care about these things and that's definitely going to affect fashion in the future. Now we have like metaverse garments, which are like clothes that are created virtually and that your like avatar could wear kind of and you can you can trade them and things like that I'm not too well versed in the in the metaverse but that's a general gist that I understand and the great thing about that actually is that with technology like clothe 3d you can virtually create a garment and that saves again on fabric waste and then pattern make it there and then print it out and edit it in person which saves a lot of time making samples a lot of again fabric waste and is more well-rounded in sustainability a lot of gen z's care about craftsmanship i feel like in terms of exploring different cultures so they're very open-minded in that sense like if a garment comes from uh, let's say India or Africa, like they don't think twice about it in terms of like, oh, it doesn't carry that value, that like luxury value that a lot of back in the day, a lot of houses really care about that. I feel like some people care about it, but in a sense with the way that things are changing and with the way that a lot of brands now focus on the craftsmanship back home, and incorporate that into their garments. If it says, you know, crafted in India or crafted in Ghana and things like that, it's not damaging to the image as it was back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, finding new ways to create, innovate like the process is something that uh, Gen Z's care about. So that's why brands like Reformation, which claims to be like very sustainable and other clothes are like, you know, super sustainable people, people love that brand and people, a lot of Gen Zers care about those sort of things. I guess, can I get on a little tangent again? I'm wondering what, what are your thoughts on, I'm going to probably cut this part out to be fair, but like just branding and art, like how do you reckon with what you want to create because you're passionate about it and you have this vision you want to see through versus the needs of the market almost, right? That require a brand in order to sell, in order to profit, in order to make more of the stuff you're passionate about. Yeah, that's always the struggle. (laughs) If it was up to artists who would make things that people can't wear, but that's a difference between art and fashion. You have to consider that people are wearing this. Where are they wearing it to? How often are they wearing it? In order to create something that's both beautiful and unique, but wearable arts. And that's, again, goes into the general public of now you have to think about your 
your customers when you create a, a collection. And that's the difference between like haute couture, which is like very high fashion, not many people can afford it and people don't wear it every day versus like just contemporary luxury, which is not as expensive. And generally people like can invest in a few pieces and, and wear it for a long time. Uh, so that's always like a struggle balancing those two when it comes to being a designer because again you're running a business and that business has to last <laughs> has to continually provide for itself and then you're also an artist you have to make something that's unique but not too unique or else it won't sell <laughs> something that is relatable to many people or your, your set of customers that you have, but can also expand to more people, which again, creates that expansion in a brand. So there's always like so many things to balance when it comes to being like a fashion designer and entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, how, how yeah, that this is a theme that's been coming up a lot in this conversation. And I'm, I'm wondering how, there's so much to balance, right? Between the political and trying to depoliticize and also art and commerce. And you yeah. said something really <laughs> cool earlier. You said something really cool that I haven't noticed other people say on this podcast, where you talked about your upbringing as having both dichotomy and harmony. And I really love that. Yeah, something I, I say a lot. I feel like being Nigerian, growing up as a Nigerian is like, you know, kind of, I don't want to say opposite to like African or African-American culture or white culture but it's it's slightly different in you know the mannerisms and the things we've been taught and 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 then being you know raised in like this like 2000s era and being like african-american is like a different harmony in a sense that i i still get to discover and i look through my family photo albums and i'm like oh my gosh like this is so you know Nigerian but then also like I see this African-American aspect that's very interesting and yeah just re just relating that to the dichotomy and, and harmony in and of itself having like a a sort of polished look but that is still like raw and relatable and that's kind of how I describe being Nigerian American yeah and that definitely flows into my designs yeah I'm that's it's very cool. interesting to explore. I see like a vision of the the work, right? The art. Yeah. It's something that, yeah, the rawness and the, yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. I guess I'm also wondering, right? And please help me if I phrase this in a weird way, because I'm still trying to figure it out. But even with my knowledge of fashion, right? And I feel like the popular perception of it is always kind of siloed off. It's like that moment in, what's that movie? The Devil Wears Prada, right? Where the other character is like, what's so important about fashion? And then Meryl Streep, I think. Yeah, right. Like, breaks it down into like all these different layers. Like how can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how can the general public look at fashion in a way that takes it outside of the silo it's typically put in? So are you saying like the silo that it's typically put in is like, just not serious doesn't matter I get I mean maybe not doesn't matter but it's maybe something people don't just they don't think about right like on the day-to-day -day, like they don't think about what they're going to put on I, I feel like you kind of did cover this a little bit with the Gen Z topic right like they're more mm -hmm. conscious of 
where things come from and where it's going to happen when it's done and maybe repurposing old pieces. But yeah, yeah, it's still like an interesting thing to me about like, is it just an image consciousness thing or is it really like caring about what they put on and realizing the story behind it from conception through manufacturing to my shirt right now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I feel like even if it is an image conscious thing, it still serves the purpose of what it's supposed to do. So yeah. even if you are pretending to care, guess what? You're still buying that garment that was sustainably made. Like, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day you know another thing I do think about is like people like my sisters who can't afford you know a $200 uh, t-shirt because it was sustainably made and they buy you know buy things off of Shein and their friends buy things off of Shein but everybody knows that Shein is not so great for sustainability (laughs) they make you know thousands hundreds of thousands of garments I can't I don't even know every year every month maybe (laughs) and that all and ends up as landfill because it's not it's not luxury fabrics and they don't last very long so wait wait what was the question again how that's a big question though how do you get like people to think about it more right just how to be more conscious of those things but I guess it's also a question of making those things more equitable Because like you said, like sometimes if something's sustainably made, not everyone can afford that. You know, I feel like, yeah, this is a complex one. I feel It's a complex one. I feel like it's hard to like fairly pay people and then not make a garment. Like it doesn't, like it adds into the cost. There's so many things that have played into, you know, cheap garments, whether it's cheap fabric, paying below minimum wage and in third world countries and using, you know, child labor, whether it's dyeing fabrics and having that toxic waste into the environment, so many different things that, you know, we can work on in terms of trying to create a sustainable fashion as a whole. It's so hard to tackle everything because again, as you said, if you incorporate most of these things that I'm mentioning, your garment will be ridiculously expensive. Um, and then we have the problem of normal people, everyday people cannot afford these costs, these garments that are essentials, and they probably will last long, but they will be a, an investment piece that you will have to save up money for. Uh, it It's really a toss up. Yeah, but I think slowly we can get there. And maybe if more people incorporate this into their practice, it will not be as rare or niche to have a garment that is, let me not say too super expensive, like maybe the use will bring down the costs of the garment, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Almost like how everything when it comes out is super expensive and right. then it's adopted more and people know how to make it, it becomes less expensive. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So this is a long road ahead, but also we don't have that much time until the effects of global warming are permanent. But, you know. And I'm not just like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's real. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's 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 we like to work on a deadline. Let's say. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Procrastination. Yeah. Oh my God. 
that's, um, that's why I feel like the Gen Z's, you know, really care about that. Like they want their children, they want to have children mm-hmm. and they want, you know, their children to live in a world that is not a post-apocalyptic version of what they lived in. Yeah. Like Mad Max, just like cars in a desert. Oh my gosh, exactly. We have to change our ways and have a lot of things, but especially fashion, because it's just, it's something everyone everyone wears thinking about it or not you're you're contributing to a system whether it's sustainable or not by the clothes that you wear Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah I feel like that's again to answer your question like in terms of thinking of fashion in a way that is not publicized like as in Devil Wears Prada and things like that which Devil Wears Prada didn't really talk about the sustainable aspect of fashion a lot of people glamorize fashion and you know, all these garments are so beautiful and gorgeous, but, you know, the, the non-glorious side is, oh, like, we just wasted yards of fabric because we needed to make a sample. And also, this person's going to wear the garment maybe two times, and then it's not it's not great anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all these things are now being carefully thought of, even in the highest of companies. LVMH really in- tries to incorporate this into their houses. So it's something that will change sure, slowly but surely. Yeah. Pivoting back to your work specifically, because I really do want to focus on it. Mm-hmm. How, how, can, how would you want people to view your work? Right. How would what would you want people to take out of it and receive it when it's put out there? I would love people to receive it as an exploration of my culture and a telling of story. My thesis collection is gonna be about like motherhood and childlike wonder. I really love using like my collections to sort of relate like being Nigerian to being American and exploring like the beautiful aspects of it but then we can also explore you know the not so great aspects of it but I I really want people to receive it as something that is precious like when they wear it they're making a statement and they're connecting to like the culture in a sense but they don't necessarily have to be from the culture to wear it it could just be like you're wearing something that means something like you're supporting others yeah but not in and not in a way that's cultural appropriation because a lot of people when they feel like when they wear clothes that are african things like that it's culturally appropriating and that's why i try to have my garments have an indirect what's the word like indirect relation, but also um, has that meaning. And when I say like my culture, so my thesis question is gonna be about childlike wonder and motherhood. It's really exploring how childlike wonder kind of loses over time. And the, the one time I feel like as adults, when we gain it back is when we have kids and we're able to explore, you know, kind of reintroduce the world as kids and like see what they're thinking. And it's very interesting how people are like, I don't want to say obsessed with kids, but like in the sense of like how they think, it's just so 
like you know what they're thinking but actually you don't know what they're thinking at the same time and having that like childlike wonder is something that I feel like is important to have as people and exploring you know different aspects of yourself and different different aspects of culture that with an open mind if that makes sense makes a lot of sense I, I think what's cool about your work and this industry that is new to me right like it's it's I'm learning a lot about it for this call and other calls like I business of fashion is so good <laughs> Just like, I don't, like it's so informative it's so informative yeah but it, it's cool that you're combining these elements to create something new like I never like the term third culture kids I don't know why it bothers me but it is cool that you're taking these Nigerian roots and these like American roots and creating something in that right that is new and different yeah that's really cool I have one last question and I I think it's cool because you brought it up at the beginning too but you're (laughs) talking about right these preconceived notions of what elegance is right where it's tied Mm -hmm. to skinniness or whiteness and these different ideals what does chic mean to you what does elegant mean to you Hmm. it's yeah it's definitely something that we have to decolonize because it's still taught in fashion how you know it's based on the past it's based on you know these these legacy houses in the past that have this history of claiming what the word chic is and having it based in European culture and whiteness and not telling the history of African fashion, which again is another thing that I love to incorporate into my work, the African silhouettes, African fashion, the coral beads, which was used in Edo culture and beautifully seen in, you know, many weddings, Nigerian weddings, which, you know, three-day whole event. But yeah, incorporating chicness into it in different cultures, what that means, not just having a one-way view of it is super important. To me, it's very dynamic. Um, But I also have to retrain myself to think about what chic is, because again, when we go through historical references uh, in fashion, we we look at, you know, the the basic luxury European houses that define what chic is, and it's it's very hard because it's all that's been taught. There isn't like a fashion book of Africa, like that's not a thing. Maybe it's a thing that is com- coming to light, but it's not a thing that is well known right now. We have Asian fashion. That's a thing. Japanese fashion. Chinese fashion, mm-hmm. uh, which again, they have their own definition of chic. But yeah, it's so, it's such a word that is meaningful, but meaningless at the same time. <laughs> Cause it's like chic. It's like all based on what you think it is. It's like a made up word, <laughs> but yeah. It, Cause people can say, oh, chic means clean. It means you're you know this french delicate like what's the word like dainty person but could chic also mean strong should could chic also mean you know independent could chic also mean raw it just feels so clashing yeah but in a different culture that can mean chic so it's so 
like it's such a dynamic word and elegant too yeah it's it's again a meaningless word but no a meaningful word but also a meaningless word because it can mean so many different things that is not based on European standards Mm -hmm. if that makes sense so once we introduce that non-European standard it could mean so many things yeah it reminds me of what I had read about you before you came on about how you like to incorporate a lot of maximalism into your designs right you know that's not maybe traditionally what Europeans consider chic no yeah Europeans consider chic like less is more you know muted colors but now a lot of black designers they are incorporating that sort of maximalism into their design one brand that I love that's doing it right now uh, where I work Christopher John Rogers like he is definitely (laughs) takes maximalism to the max in the sense of that he uses his prints and silhouettes to tell a story that is fun it doesn't always have to be serious I feel like minimalism is so serious and sometimes when you wear clothes you just want to feel great you just want to feel like you're making a statement but like also just feel not so serious because if you're always serious through life it's just depressing so uh, that's why (laughs) I incorporate maximalism in my clothes in terms of like the color and the fun silhouettes and the prints and then maximalism as in telling telling the story in a way that is is relatable to others but also explains the true aspects of of the culture and that's that's what I aim to incorporate in all my collections and in in my brands in the future I find that a lot of non-European cultures are maximalist I mean if you look at the different countries in Africa you see a a mix and mash of prints (laughs) and colors and it's you know it's gorgeous and it's something that is the fundamentals of I feel like maximalist culture and that's why you know when it comes to maximalism it's not really incorporated in European because it's like the opposite of African culture (laughs) in a sense yeah so that's why I, I love to incorporate that into my designs. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's cool. I guess, um, you know, I know you're busy. I want to just see if you want to give the people your socials. Where can they follow you? And what are you going to do next? What's next on the docket? Where can they find you? Yes. So my socials is I'm on Instagram, uh, Osadai underscore Ohan and LinkedIn my full name Erosa Osadai Ohanmu and soon we'll be making a website I don't have it yet and next I have a an event I'm I just got the opportunity to design for Ruth Carter who is the designer for Black Panther so it's like a great honor to design for her and I'm super excited about her wearing my uh dress on the red carpet so it's gonna be fun wearing it to the NAACP event so it's going to be fun to uh, experience that and network with all the people there and 
you know, see see people who I've admired for a long time in person. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah, that's um, really cool. I would have started with that. <laughs> awesome. Oh my god. You know, sometimes you have to act like you're not so excited, but also like you're crying and screaming on the inside, like, yeah. oh my gosh, like glass, it's gonna be there, you know. Yeah, that's wow, that's cool. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really great. Yeah. No worries. It wasn't in this uh, conversation, but it was with another one I recorded that it's going to come out later on. Um, I don't know, sometime this season. But someone categorized me as a journalist. And I don't think that's what I'm doing here. To be fair, I want to be upfront about that. It's never what I've, I've aimed to do with this show. Um... But it's been hard to categorize what I'm trying to do with this show, right? I think maybe not externally, but internally. Like, what is it that I'm doing? But part of that is just failing to see what this show is, right? Which is just profiling very cool people, doing very cool things in different industries, whether they're journalists, whether they're in the diplomacy field, whether they're fashion designers. And I think what I really loved about this conversation with Iorosa is just learning something new that I had no idea about, right? Like, I don't know a lot about the fashion industry. I think this episode ties really well together with the last episode I did with uh, Jackie on Abisa. Like, I, you know, I love to wear cool clothes. I love to, you know, feel good about what I wear, but to think about it outside of just like, what am I doing? And think about it in this grander scheme of both commerce and art and economy like it's so interesting and cool and i think that's not to discount you know some of just like the selfishness in this mission which is you know trying to figure out who i am (laughs) by learning about other people i know who i am for the most part but i think it's still a really fun thing we're doing here and I'm really grateful for everyone who's listening. Thank you so much. Um, just a few notes before we wrap up. All the descriptions to her socials will be in the podcast notes below. Please check her out. She's the best. Follow and stay tuned. I know she's working a lot of cool things coming up. On this show, we'll be doing cool things coming up. Um, I don't want to say on what exactly yet, but a lot of episodes are coming out soon. And I'm going to try this Wednesday release going forward. Because Monday, if I think about my audience, right, I don't think Monday's a good day for the demographic of this show. People don't want to, you know, do, they don't want to get started with the week. Wednesday feels like a better day. It feels like the day everyone's like, okay, we're already in it. It might be less or more chill, depending on what you need. And then you can kind of just sit back and relax and learn and grow along with me here on Minority Report with Salomon Flamenco. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. (laughs) This has been Minority Report with me, your host, Salomon Flamenco. You can follow us on Instagram at minority underscore report underscore pod. If you want to be a part of the conversation, you can email us at minorityreport.beat at gmail.com. If you have been, I want to thank you for listening. That's all we have for you this week, but we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye-bye.